0: Welcome to a special episode of Mormon Discussion, grateful to be with you today. Uh, this episode is one that I wanted to release essentially as soon as I recorded it, and so I just recorded this this morning, and uh, it is about a article that uh, was recently in Meridian Magazine titled, How Will Children Know the Truth About Marriage If We Don't Teach Them? It's getting a lot of buzz on the web um, it's been kind of controversial and a lot of people have been talking about it, but I simply wanted to go through it today and, and kind of share why I don't really don't think some of the points they hold up as valid really hold much water. In fact, I think some of them open another hold another can of worms that I, I feel like the author of this article completely avoided. And so today I want to talk about some of those. So I just want to read the article. This was How Will Children Know the Truth About Marriage If We Don't Teach Them? This is uh, by Wendy Assay. This was written May 10th uh, 2015. Today it is the 17th. So it's been out for a week. came out uh, a week ago uh, Sunday. And I simply wanted to go through and just, uh, and just see what each of the points are that she makes and share with you why these don't work. She starts off saying, and this can be found at Meridian Magazine. Uh, you can find this online. Um, and I'll link to it as well in the episode. A few months ago, she starts off, she says, A few months ago, an LDS-stake high counselor was attending a class with young women in a ward he was visiting. They were discussing same-sex attraction and gay marriage. The young women leaders were being very tentative and vague as they discussed the topic because they were concerned about offending one particular young woman. The high counselor watched as the young women grew more and more conflicted and confused. Finally, he spoke up and stated, Let me clarify some things for you. He went on to explain clearly and unapologetically that while having same sex attraction is not a sin, acting on it is. He told them sin is sin and is unacceptable in the eyes of God. Now, I would simply stop here and say stating that sin is sin, and I'm not going to make this a huge point, but stating that sin is sin is not always true. Uh, the brethren in the 40s stated that interracial marriage, for instance, was sin, and today they disavow that as a theory. So I'm simply throwing in that there are exceptions. To this idea that God has stated through the brethren that sin is sin, and therefore we must stand up for this. Uh, again, I would make it a big point because nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine times out of uh, ten thousand, sin is sin, and uh, and I don't want to ever be the person who leads others to think that because there's one exception to the rule, none of the rules apply. Because I don't think that's true either. But it's just simply something that crossed my mind as I was reading this. That uh, he told them, sin is sin, is unacceptable in the eyes of God. Well, there are exceptions to that. They're just exceptions. It doesn't mean that we throw the entire gospel out, uh, you know, baby with the bathwater type of idea. But it was something I thought of. He then says when, the the author then says, when he finished, one of the young women spoke up and then thanked him. She told him that the youth are getting so many confusing messages about same-sex attraction and gay marriage that it has become a real challenge for them. She told them that as he was speaking, the spirit confirmed the truth of what he said to her. Um, I'm always careful that just because someone feels the Spirit testify that something's true that we not automatically make the assumption then that they're right. You know, yeah we can disagree, but I know that my spiritual insight is true and yours isn't. Um, This idea that the Spirit testifies to us what is true, there's lots of people who hold various ideas of, of what the Spirit has told them is true. I've had people share very false and disavowed things in the church with me even you know in the last few years that they felt the Spirit testify to him was true. She continues, she says, today's youth are confronted with many conflicting messages about same-sex attraction and gay marriage. What they hear from music, the media, and from school doesn't always mesh with what they are being taught in church. Again, sure, but let's at least take a step back and say there have been lots of times in society where what we've heard from music, media, and school actually turned out to be right and what we were being taught at church turned out to be wrong and there's examples of that i think to not recognize that misses a huge point that we need to just say hey you know what sometimes the church is reactive to issues and that society at large has figured it out before the brethren in the church have figured it out i think we need to just come to grips with that and acknowledge it uh, elder Uchdorf said sometimes leaders have made mistakes that have violated doctrine uh, it's happened. And so sometimes we've taught things that, uh, that weren't true. She continues. She says, uh, this can leave them feeling confused and even angry. As parents, we have the responsibility to guide them through their confusion. They need help. Now, I would stop here, too, and say, sometimes us parents need to listen to our children because our assumptions are the ones that are wrong. She continues. She says, they need help sorting through activist claims about same-sex attraction. They need to know how society's definitions of fairness, tolerance, and equality relate to Christ's teachings about love. I'm not a big fan of using this word activist because it basically says anybody who disagrees with me and is, is vocal about their opinion, they're an activist. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that. It seems to be a loaded word right off the bat. She continues, she says they also need to understand the impact that gay marriage will have on individuals, families, and societies. If we fail to teach our children why natural marriage and family are essential, they will only hear what the world is saying to them. They need to hear our voices. The Spirit can only testify of the truth to them if they hear it. Uh, she, she hints here in this paragraph, she talks about um, that our children need to know how society's definitions of fairness, tolerance, and equality relate to Christ's teachings of love. Again, let's point out that the church at times has been wrong on its definition of fairness, tolerance, and equality in this society at large, actually at at that moment had a better definition of fairness, tolerance, and equality when it applied to certain issues. Specifically, we talk about race in the 1960s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So she ends here, she says the spirit can only testify of truth to them if they hear it. Uh, I would disagree here, that's false. Uh, The spirit can testify to me of truth without me hearing view or another there are lots of times you know joseph when he goes into the grove is asking which church to join and the lord tells him none of them the lord bore witness to an idea that perhaps joseph had not considered or that he had been told by somebody else he came to that conclusion on his own i think to to say that the holy ghost can only spare can only bear testimony if we hear a certain option i think is silly I think I could go to Heavenly Father and I could say, Heavenly Father, do you want me to take job A or job B? And Heavenly Father could answer none of them without me having never considered that. I think the Holy Ghost can testify of truth even when we don't hear an option vocalized prior to having that confirmation. She continues, she says, one family's commitment to be more proactive in teaching their children was sparked when their teenage son came to them with concerns about conversations he had with friends at school. They had been discussing political issues of the day, including gay marriage. The parents had, hadn't personally faced many of the questions their son asked and didn't know how to answer. They had questions of their own regarding gay marriage, such as, what harm would it be to legally recognize these relationships? Uh, which, by the way, the church is now in favor of? Legally recognizing these relationships second what are the consequences to society of the gay rights agenda another don't same-sex attracted people also deserve to be in a relationship that brings them happiness and what is marriage and why does it matter to society the parents began a concerted effort to learn what they could about the issues they read books and attended events and focused on the family then they organized a series of family home evenings with their extended family eight families in all to teach their children the newfound information. During the meetings, they address different issues relating to same-sex attraction and gay marriage, using the family, a proclamation to the world, as their guide. I like that, because a guide is what the proclamation to the world is. And they used it as a guide. Up to this point, we've been kind of uh, surface level, just kind of picking at nits with, uh, with this article. But I hope you'll begin to see here that some issues in this article begin to really fall apart as we move forward. She says, uh, The experience was life-changing for them. They had no idea how emotional the discussions would be for their children who were dealing with the issue every day. Most of their children knew someone who was struggling with their personal identity, and they were bothered by thoughtless and, and insensitive comments directed at them. I want to stop here for a moment and say, we always want to talk about those kids who are LGBT, who fall into that category. As struggling with their personal identity, and I've used that word myself before, struggling with same-sex attraction. But I would simply point out that a big reason that these kids are struggling, at least, needs to be mentioned. Whether 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 we want to tackle LGBT as being, uh, whether you know, same-sex attraction is something that one should just you know be who they are, or whether this is something one should put off to the side. Uh, I think within society and within religion, that's a, a topic that you know needs discussion. But regardless of that, I think at least should be acknowledged that those kids, those teenagers, those young kids, those uh, young adults who are struggling with their personal identity, they are struggling because of the cultural and religious expectations that are placed on them. The pressure, the shame, the guilt, the picking on, the bullying that these these people receive because what they feel who they feel they are inside is not compatible with the cultural religious expectations that are placed upon them. That, I can only imagine being different from the majority of my community and people looking down upon that, what makes me different and the confusion, the guilt, and the shame that would come along with that for something that I have no control over in the sense of those feelings. She continues. She says the teenagers and college students had strong opinions and asked challenging questions as they sought help in dealing with their own personal confusion. As the lessons progressed, the parents grew in knowledge and confidence in addressing the difficult issues. They were able to help their children come to terms with the issues and internalize truths espoused in the proclamation of the family. I would hesitate here again and say, well, I also agree that the family proclamation, the proclamation of the family contains truths. I would not say, I would not go so far as to say I am absolutely certain that everything in it is true. In fact, to say in there, for instance, that gender is eternal, that who we are in this life is the gender that we were before and the gender we will be after, negates the fact that Elder Oaks has recently said that there is more to be discovered and taught in terms of truth on the issue of transgender, uh, being transgender, that there is more truth yet to come and I would at least hold out the hold out room that that truth is going to contradict the idea that gender is eternal, from the premortal life to here to the life hereafter. The author continues, the next section here is responding to activist claims. She says, gay activists make many convincing claims regarding same-sex attraction. We can help our youth discern the truth regarding those claims by giving them solid information and reasoned arguments from secular as well as religious sources. And that's what the whole rest of this article focuses on. She says, there is a large and growing body of research that affirms the value of man, women, marriage, and natural families. Beyond that, there is a host of clearly articulated essays that lay out the social, cultural, and legal reasons for supporting traditional marriage. Traditional marriage, again, being between one man and one woman. These resources can help us form strong, rational arguments that can guide our youth to greater understanding. And so they, she then begins to go through each of these points. She says a new website, Stand for True Marriage, that's the name of the website, Stand for True Marriage, has compiled links to research and essays that support natural marriage and families, making them easy to access. To access. Here is a list of arguments often made by gay activists, coupled with quotes from some of those articles which address the difficult issues. Now, before I get into this, I just want to pause here for a moment and just remind all Latter-day Saints... Because it's going to be a major point I'm going to make throughout the rest of this article. I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but we practiced polygamy, where multiple women were married to one man. Those women, in a lot of cases, lived in different houses. The children didn't see their father all the time. We also have quotes from leaders like Brigham Young and others, who basically said, look, if my woman's not real nice, I'm going to just visit her once a year or so. Um, as we go through this, let's think about the kind of harm that this article wants to point that gay marriage has on children, but let's also keep in mind the harm that polygamy had not only on children, but on the wives as well. And I just don't think this the arguments of this article hold water if we're going to sit and also say that polygamy came from God. Number one, Don't same-sex attracted people deserve to be in a relationship that brings them happiness? And then the article throws out this quote, says, All Americans have the freedom to live as they choose, but no one has the right to redefine marriage for everyone else. In recent decades, marriage has been weakened by a revisionist view that is more about adults' desires than children's needs. This reduces marriage to a system to approve emotional bonds or to distribute legal privileges. First off, the quote doesn't answer the question. Do same-sex attracted people deserve to be in a relationship that brings them happiness? She says all Americans have the freedom to live as they choose. But she doesn't answer the question of whether these people deserve. Not just have the freedom. It's, not, it's more than just having the freedom to do something. It's do they deserve to be able to do it? There's no answer to that question. Also... This idea, first, of that marriage has always been defined a certain way, that's not true. In fact, we as a church have tried to impose a different definition of marriage. And marriage from country to country and continent to continent, I mean, if you go into a tribe in Africa and say, how do you guys define marriage? It's going to be completely different. I mean, there are still places in the world where they practice polygamy or where they practice polyandry. polygyny or polyandry there's places in the world where way different concepts of marriage exist to simply say well the american definition of marriage has been around since the beginning that's not true marriage has been defined in so many different ways that to say there's this one definition that's held up since the beginning of time and who are we to change it is nonsense it's nonsense. And to also end here saying this reduces marriage to a system to approve emotional bonds or distribute legal privileges. And then to say that this, you know, makes the children's needs second. Guys and girls, every one of us got married because we fell in love with somebody and we wanted to spend the rest of our life with them. Very few of us put any real deep consideration into the kind of parent we are bringing into our home to raise our children. I mean, sure, we say, yeah, she'll be a good mom, she'll be a good dad. But do we really date 100 people and say, forget my own needs, forget my own attraction. I'm trying to find the right person to raise my children or to be a fatherly influence on my kids. That's crazy. We all married out of infatuation, out of love, out of attraction, out of being romantically, feeling romantically connected to somebody. I'm sorry, but this just falls short. The next quote she uses to defend this point, Continue to love me, but remember that you cannot be more merciful than God. It isn't mercy to affirm same-sex acts as good. Practice compassion according to the root meaning of compassion. Suffer with me. Don't compromise truth. Help me to live in harmony with it. And this is from Seven Things I Wish My Pastor Knew About My Homosexuality. That's great. There's one person. I validate his perspective at that given moment in time. But two things. One is that's one perspective. Two, it is given in one moment in time. That person there may change their mind. They may not. Fine, I validate their point of view. Second, it's not like there's either gay people or straight people and they are two ends of a spectrum and it's black and white. It is a spectrum. People fall all along the spectrum. For some people, it may be easy to put these feelings off and to live what God has asked them to. Based on what their religion tells them to live. On the other hand, I don't think it's fair to use this one person as a representative of the entire gay community any more than I would use Woody Allen to represent my heterosexuality. The next question she goes into is How does gay marriage hurt anyone? She says, and she uses this quote, she says, Marriage is not simply a special case of the market. And family law is not simply a subset of property and contract law. Marriage exists to meet the social necessity of caring for helpless children who are not and cannot be contracting parties. Children are protected parties. And marriage should protect the interest of both parties in pursuing their common project of rearing their children. If we replace this essential public purpose with the essential private purposes, marriage will not be able to do its job. But children will still need secure attachments to their mothers and fathers, a need which will go unfulfilled. Again, this is a modern take. When you start talking about contractual and contract law and marriage exists to meet the social necessity of caring for help, that's fine, but that's a modern perspective. So which one is it? Are we saying that marriage's definition should not be changed or that we should use modern marriage's definition to decide how marriage should be defined? Again, this seems silly. This is from a prepared remarks for Minnesota State Legislature hearing on the constitutional amendment defining marriage. I don't, this is just, it, this frustrates me because you can't have it both ways. You can't say the definition of marriage has always existed and then begin to use legal jargon of modern definition of marriage. The second quote she uses, Redefining marriage redefines parenthood. It moves us well beyond our live and let live philosophy into the land where our society promotes a family structure where children will always suffer loss. It will be our policy stamped and sealed by the most powerful of government institutions that these children will have their right to be known and loved by their mother and or father stripped from them in every instance. In same-sex headed households, the desires of the adults trump the rights of the child. Um, excuse me. Mormons, we practiced polygamy. The desires of the parents trumped the rights of the child. The child had a right to have a mother and father in their home. Polygamy caused that. The way the Latter day Saints, the way the Mormons practiced it, even made it worse. It did not look out first and foremost for the rights of the child. I'm being serious here, guys. When do you say, do you really want to open this can of worms? Do you really want to say, go down this path of saying that same-sex marriage is not in the best interest of the child? When our own faith practiced polygamy, the child's needs came completely last to bring him young's needs. They were not as important. When you listen to some of the comments early leaders made about their wives and how they treated them and, and how they needed to to just humble themselves and submit themselves to these men and And that if they didn't, then these men would only visit them on rare occasions? And you're telling me that polygamy put the children's needs first and foremost? That's a crock. I don't buy it. And so are you going to take the perspective that polygamy did not come from God, when do you say? Are you going to go down that path? Or are you going to validate that perhaps at times God requires of his people to do things that maybe does not put the children's needs first and foremost? Because again... You cannot have it both ways. Number three, she says, studies show, this is again a false assumption she claims, studies show that gay people actually make better parents. And then she uses these quotes, she says, on eight of 12 psychometric measures, the risk of clinical emotional problems, developmental problems, or use of mental health treatment services is nearly double among those with same-sex parents when contrasted with children of opposite-sex parents. Wendy, what about the children of polygamy? Do you really think that if we could do a study today of those effects, that they were healthier emotionally than children who had a stable mother and father in the home, a single mother and a single father in the home, and not other women that dad called wife? And if you're really gonna sit back and say, okay, you're right, Bill, Uh, what you're bringing up has some some merit, this issue of polygamy, then you're gonna have to toss all these other points you're making in this article aside And say, look, unless I want to open a can of worms and start attacking polygamy and start saying it couldn't have come from God, then I've got to back off and say, look, this is my argument has huge holes in it when I come to this argument speaking as a Mormon. She uses another quote. She says, If it is undisputed social science that children will suffer greatly when they are abandoned by their biological parents, when their parents divorce, when one parent dies, or when they are donor-conceived, then how can it be possible that they are miraculously turning out even better when raised in same-sex-headed households? Every child raised by two moms or two dads came to that household via one of those four traumatic methods. Does being raised under the rainbow miraculously wipe away all the negative effects and pain surrounding the loss and daily deprivation of one or both parents. And this was a, a quote from Dear Justice Kennedy, an open letter from a child of a loving gay parent. This quote doesn't do you any good because what, you're, what this kid is saying is essentially is that no matter how good my two moms are, no matter how good my two dads are, how I got to be with them came from some traumatic method. I was either abandoned by my parents, which sucks, my parents divorced, which sucks. One of my parents died, or I was donor-conceived. All of those are traumatic things that have already started me off a step back from everybody else and tr- else in terms of healthy emotional state. But what that, but what she, this person, is not saying that being raised by two moms or two dads was bad. Only that what happened before that was awful and traumatic. The person even ends by saying, does being raised under the rainbow miraculously wipe away all the negative effects? In other words, that being raised by two good, awesome, loving moms or two awesome, loving dads. And in fact, again, the title of this quote that it comes from, the source is, Dear Justice Kennedy, an open letter from a child of a loving gay parent. So God bless the two moms and God bless the two dads who took a child whose parents abandoned them and raise them in a loving home. God bless you. I can't see it otherwise. The fourth question, it would be better to allow gay couples to adopt than for children to live with abusive parents. And here's the quote she used. Children are most likely to thrive when they are raised by their mother and father. You know what? I'm not even gonna disagree with that. Let's just hold that point up as valid. And if those parents are incapable of providing proper care for, of the child, the most appropriate approximation of the family unit is their right a male and female union some argue that two loving and caring men make a better home than a drug-addicted single mom what fool would disagree with that but let's be clear we are talking about degrees of brokenness for the child there is no such thing as an intact home when they are in same-sex headed household just because in a few cases a child who has found themselves in a horrific situation, would be better off with two parents of the same gender, does not necessitate writing out of civil code the right to a relationship with one's natural parents. Brokenness finds children, and the people in their lives do their best to pick up the pieces. Brokenness finds children, and the people in their lives do their best to pick up the pieces. Guys, every one of our homes in some way is is dysfunctional or or uh, broken every one of our households in some way you know dad's too stern mom's too easygoing Uh, dad yells mom uh, works out of the home a whole bunch and she's hardly there dad spends time playing farmville whatever it is every single home has its issues the point it's making here is that we have lots of kids the point i don't mean the article i mean the point that you know I could say two moms or two dads who go out and adopt a child. Do you know how many kids never are in a stable home? Do you know how many kids never get adopted within our country? Who grow up to adulthood never, ever having a stable home for years on end? More power to any stable couple, two men, two women, a man and a woman, who are able to provide that kind of stable environment for a child who wouldn't otherwise have it. Again, God bless them. It says here, public policy should not encourage or endorse brokenness for a child because a couple or thruple, whatever the heck that means, wants to have a family. Children are entitled to parents, not the other way around. Again, uh, let's look at polygamy. Let's uh, let's look at the fact that every home is somewhat broken. Let's look at the fact that whenever there's a divorce, that we more times than not stick the child with the mom, uh, when that's not you know necessarily always the best spot for the kid to be. Let's look at the fact that uh, we take children who have really rough homes and rather than take them out of those homes, we leave them in. Uh, I just think there's so many problems in this country to say, well, this problem, this is the real problem that we need to hit on. Uh, I just think misses the point. Another quote she uses, uh, no one wants children to be left with abusive parents. However, studies show that children raised in same-sex-headed households can experience increased risk to their health and well-being. Uh, polygamy, uh, did that increase risk to someone's health and well-being? Were women's health and well-being as as multiple mothers in a home or multiple mothers in multiple homes, was that affected negatively? Were the children of polygamous families affected negatively? I don't know the facts on that, but I would really struggle to see that those relationships with the wives and with the children were healthier in Mormon early history Mormon polygamous families than in a normal uh, single mom, single dad household. And by single, I mean just one dad and one mom in the same home. Another quote she uses, many people who have been raised by same-sex parents feel that same-sex parenting is not in the best interest of children. Uh, If you ask children about the parental makeup they have in their home, I bet lots of children would say that the things their moms or their dads do Uh, are not in the best interest of their health. Uh, In my house, for instance, I raise my voice at times and I think I'm way too strict. Uh, I would bet that my children, if asked, would not uh, be huge fans of uh, the way in which I operate all the time as a father. And I think that's going to be true for almost every kid. Again, I just, I don't think this completely works. So number six, or I'm sorry, number five, as long as children have two parents, it doesn't matter what gender they are. Uh, One of the quotes she uses for this, the legal recognition of same-sex marriage may over time erode the social identity, gender development, and moral character of children. No dialogue on this issue can be complete without taking into account the long-term consequences for children. No dialogue on this issue can be complete without taking into account the long-term consequences for children. Um, Did we do that with polygamy? Again, we've got this major hiccup in our history that seems to adversely affect children and the wives. And yet we're picking on same-sex marriage, which we just want to say, hey, this bothers the children. we got to stop doing this, guys. This is really hurting the kids. Number six, gay couples have a right to form families by adopting children. It says when a child is placed in a same-sex-headed household, she will miss out on at least one critical parental relationship and a vital dual-gender influence. The nature of adults' union guarantees this. The nature of the adults' union guarantees this. Whether by adoption, divorce, or third-party reproduction, the adults in this scenario satisfy their heart's desires, while the child bears the most significant cost, missing out on one or more of her biological parents. Yeah, but isn't that still better than foster homes, orphanages, or a dysfunctional home that they're in? This seems like silly, doesn't it? Number seven: High rates of gay teen suicide could be avoided if we would just encourage same-sex attracted youth to be true to themselves. She gives uh, some quotes that talk about that perhaps the stats are not as clear as uh, as we would like to think they are. Um, but I would simply say, and I'm I don't want to argue at this point. I don't I don't know. I know what I think I'm seeing happen. I know what I think I understand the, the problems of suicide and homelessness in terms of gay children, what the connection here is. But I could be wrong. But I would simply say that this could be way more complex than we think. She, uh, she uses one quote in this, most teenagers will change from same-sex attraction. In fact, the 16 to 17 year age group, 98% will move from homosexuality and bisexuality towards heterosexuality. Most teenagers thinking they are gay, lesbian, bi, and will be for the rest of their lives will in fact probably be different the following year. It is therefore totally irresponsible to counsel affirmation of same-sex feelings in an adolescent on the grounds that the feelings are intrinsic, unchangeable, and the individual is therefore homosexual. I would say that even the church recognizes now that trying to f- take a homosexual and make them straight doesn't work. We've, we've stopped all the reparative therapies that the church made an effort in the past to sanction and do. And uh, have essentially set those aside and said, hey, these don't work. Whether a teenager some of their feelings change. Fine. I mean, I know, whatever. We could say some 16, 17-year-olds who think they're homosexual drift more towards heterosexual, but we could also say that some people who are unclear of their feelings as a 15-year-old find themselves as a 25-year-old finally coming to grips with the fact that they are gay. So this works both ways, number one. Number two is this idea that the church acknowledges that it really can't be changed. I mean, you could say, hey, look, I'm gay but I'm going to go ahead and marry a woman and I'm just going to tough it out and I'm going to have a decent life with her and we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some joy in this marriage. Fine. Great. That's, that's valid. But the person didn't, their feelings didn't completely change. They didn't wake up one day and go, wow, it's fixed. I'm no longer attracted to someone of the same sex. So I think to, to say that, yeah, you know, if we just don't teach our kids, you know, to give in to their inner feelings that they're going to change. Sure. They will. Sure. They're going to change. I'm not, I'm not recommending this, and I don't think anybody else is recommending this. I think all of us who are good parents would say, look, I'm not going to tell my 16 and 17-year-old to go do anything sexually with someone of the same gender or someone of the opposite gender. That I'm going to tell them, look, these are big decisions. These should wait until later on when you're mature enough and informed enough to make them. And that now is not the time to be trying to explore these things. So whether you're gay or straight, I think that that would be the counsel one would get. And so absolutely every teenager is going to shift in their feelings and thoughts on intimacy and sex in terms of what they want at that moment and what they realize a few years down the road would be best for them. Number eight, gay people can't change. She uses this quote. I'm just going to read part of it. She says, changing these patterns is difficult, but it is possible. I have seen many men do it and move on with their lives that are filled with happiness, joy, but it is not easy. First off, the number of folks who are able to do it and feel happy and content in having done it is minute in comparison with the people who choose to do it or feel compelled to do it, and it absolutely blows up in their face and causes them so much more heartache, guilt, shame, and difficult time in their life than in which they had never done that to begin with. And so I just don't think it's fair to say, yeah, gay people change. No, they don't change. They learn to deal with it, and some of them deal with it better than others. It also ignores the fact that again, people are on a spectrum. You know, you look at this TV show that came out recently, right? My husband's not gay. You know, yeah, these guys are gay. They still married women, but meanwhile they're playing basketball and they're just staring at other men who are walking by. They didn't fix anything. They're 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 dealing with it. They are moving along through life, having chose having chosen a different path, but their mind and heart is not completely in line with that. It's not like they woke up one day and it was fixed. It didn't get fixed. She also says in this quote, there's another quote she shares, of course, even one published case of documented change would be sufficient to disprove the assertion that change is impossible, but there are hundreds. Awesome. Great. It also works the other way around that some people who say, look, this cannot be fixed in me is enough to say that not everybody can be fixed. And so not everyone can. Are there there hundreds of people who have chosen to live a heterosexual life while having feelings of same-sex attraction? Absolutely. Do some of them work out? Awesome. Wonderful. Yes, I agree they do. Does that mean that every person with same-sex attraction has same-sex attraction on the same level in that spectrum? No. Does it mean that everybody can do what what a couple of hundred people did? No, it doesn't. This is black and white thinking at its purest. We can't do this. She... uh, she finishes off this article by sharing some some points of from the gospel. Uh, leaders in the church who have expressed how we need to love those who have same-sex attraction, that we need to make room for them in some ways, and that we need to recognize that doctrine is doctrine, sin is sin. And, and I don't want to get into that because I've never been a proponent of saying, hey, look, God doesn't have a problem with this. I've never done that. I've always tried to sit back and say, look, uh, you know, maybe this will change, maybe it won't, until then I'll stand behind the doctrine of the church, and uh, I'm still comfortable saying that. But what I am saying is that the arguments that this article uses have has lots of holes in it. Uh, I agree that sin is sin, but having certainty that something is sin because the church says so is not as clear as we think. I want to finish with the last paragraph that she, she uses. She says, Our children today are facing an onslaught of worldly philosophies and values that will undoubtedly test their faith. President Monson emphasized the challenge when he said, We live in a world where moral values have in great measure been tossed aside, where sin is flagrantly on display, and where temptations to stray from the straight and narrow paths surround us. As parents, we can't assume that our children will somehow assimilate gospel principles relating to today's moral issues on their own. We also can't afford to wait for them to come to us with their questions and concerns because they may never do it. Instead, we need to actively initiate conversations about important moral issues and discuss them with sensitivity and love. Our challenge is to ground ourselves and our children in the truths expressed in the proclamation on the family. So that as families, we can withstand the onslaught. With God's help, we can succeed in preparing our children spiritually for the world they are facing, we can and must raise our voices in defense of truth. Only then can the Spirit testify of the truth to those who hear us. I simply want to finish by saying the proclamation of the family is not canon. It, uh, it was originally labeled as revelation, but that label was removed. So I can currently hold the stance that it's not even revelation. And it's certainly not accepted scripture. And while it certainly contains truths, it may also contain some half-truths or some things that are not truth at all. I would simply raise the idea that we ought to be more careful of using it as the absolute foundation of what we decide is truth and isn't. I would also suggest that in light of our history of polygamy, we reconsider the reasons that we give for why same-sex attraction, or same-sex marriage, I should say, should be a, a, an idea that we just absolutely toss off to the side as abhorrible and as something that should never uh, be permitted within the legal confines or the religious confines of our community. I think if, if the reason we use is that it is not emotionally healthy to the children who participate, I think that there is too many holes in that with comparison to our religious history to hold any water. As she pointed out in the very beginning of the article, that we need sound reasons and sound arguments for talking about this issue. And I hope that in light of this article, that my podcast today was able to bring some rebuttal to things that I do not think were sound reasons and sound arguments. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.